morning, Crosspoint. Good to see you. <laughs> this morning was a little bit cool for me. I don't like the cold weather too much. So um, I almost pulled my coat on, but uh, I'll be okay. Um, we're going to be continuing in our series in Mark chapter 6. The title of the series is Following Jesus Together. And I have titled this sermon, Desperate Dependence. Desperate Dependence. And I'd like for us, as we continue in the series, to imagine that we are traveling with Jesus and his disciples through this journey through the book of Mark, to not be just passive observers from a distance, but actually act like we're, we're, we're there with them, that we're tagging along with Jesus's, Jesus and his disciples. And I want you, as best as you can, to try to feel what the disciples are feeling to identify with what the disciples are seeing and the experience of what it was like to follow Jesus. And to not only do that, but to allow Jesus to expose our hearts as we also, 2,000 years later, are also traveling with Jesus, as we are actually following Jesus to see what he has to say to us, to our hearts today. So, the flow of the sermon, I'm going to be stopping at various points and making, um, making some observations, and I have three applications at the end that I would like for us to consider as we continue in Mark chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 30, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. At this particular point, remember last week, Jesus had sent the disciples out, and they were able to do a lot of powerful works as they were dependent on God and, and His Spirit, and God had given them authority to cast out demons and to teach. And so we pick up in the story where they're coming back, and in verse 30, Mark chapter 6, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. We live in a very busy culture. I'm not sure what your week looks like, but I would assume that even in the midst of a pandemic that most of us have these busy schedules where, you know, maybe sometimes you don't have time to eat. You don't have time to sit down and really focus like you would want to. But in the midst of our busyness, point number one is Jesus calls you to be alone with him. Jesus calls you to be alone with him. How intensely do you feel that call? As I'm speaking to you right now, amidst the busyness and the things that you are entangled with in your life, how intensely do you, do you hear that call? Is it even a desire? And I want to be clear because it's one thing to say that I just want to get rid of the stress in my life and I just want to sit home and I just want to watch Netflix movies for the rest of the week. That's all I want to do. Spring break. I just want to relax. I just want to chill. Or it's something different to say I would just want to go to a theme park and just kind of detox. But it's a totally different thing to say that I want to be alone with Jesus. There's a difference. And so today... What is the disposition of your heart? How intensely do you connect with this call 
to be alone with Jesus. I think for many of us, our lives have become so busy that we don't even know what to do with stillness. Like, what is stillness? What do we do with it? Where it seems almost like it's intimidating or it's awkward to even pull away and spend time with Jesus. Still, Jesus places that call. Jesus calls all of us, his followers, to be alone with him. Verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So just imagine the scene, right? You're desperate to want to get away, get some R&R, and as soon as you get to this desolate place, this beautiful little island I'm picturing in my mind, all of a sudden the crowd comes out of the bushes. And I could just see the disciples giving one of those slow claps like, yay, there they go. Whenever you commit to pursuing solitude with Jesus, distractions will await. It's point number two. In pursuing solitude with Jesus, you better believe that distractions will await. Whether those are external distractions or even the internal distractions, you know, it might be the notifications you get on your phone. Some emergency, all of a sudden it pops up and interferes with the solitude that we're pursuing. In pursuit of solitude with Jesus, distractions await. And so we continue in verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. One of the main things that gets between us and the place that we're really wanting to get to is people. And I'll be 100% honest with you, like when I'm trying to get some time in with Jesus and someone interferes with me, I am not very happy. I get kind of frustrated. And the first thing that comes to my mind is not compassion. And so point number three is this, simply that compassion is a spirit-produced work. That compassion is a spirit-produced work. The gut reaction that we have when, when, when our access to something is denied, and especially, you know, in the context of this, trying to get alone, trying to get away from the chaos, what Jesus saw were people who were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's not, to, to be able to have compassion in a situation like that is not something that you can contrive. It's not something that you can bolster up in your own energy. It has to be a spirit-produced work to be able to see desperate people and need, and to have that kind of a compassionate response, that in and of itself is the work of the Spirit of God. Jesus saw sheep who needed a shepherd. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is late. It's getting kind of late here. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So it's kind of like they're kind of giving Jesus that little, little nudge, that little shoulder nudge. It's like, yo, you, you did say let's get away. We're in a quiet place. And uh, 
It is kind of getting late, and look, they look hungry, so why don't you go ahead and send them away, and let's just get this show on the road here. They're trying to get rid of him. And so Jesus is like, okay, this is a perfect teaching opportunity. You guys have had some great missionary experience, right? You guys saw the Holy Spirit do some powerful things as you cast out demons and you did a bunch of teaching. So you give them something to eat. Verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. They said to him, hmm, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat, which is about 200 days worth of food? After all of this missionary stuff that they've been doing, this is what they come up with. Where are they going to get the money from? Remember when Jesus sent them out in Mark chapter 6? They had no money. What store are you going to go to? Is there a 24-hour Walmart somewhere where you can pick up some, some bread? How long is it going to take you to get there and to get back? Hmm? And how are you going to get enough bread to feed, feed 5,000 people? How are you going to get that back here? Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus was asking his disciples to do something that was way beyond their means. And what did the disciples do? They began to rely on man-made means to solve a God-sized problem. So he says, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Go and see. I want you to go count how much you have, and then you can come back and tell me. And I can see the disciples kind of sheepishly going about, you know, trying to count and gather the number. And coming back sheepishly saying, well, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Uh, we got five loaves and we got two fish. And Jesus says, that's what I've been waiting on. Jesus wants us to get to a place of acknowledging that what we have is vastly insufficient. And that is the soil in which Jesus works. Jesus wants to see that we recognize that the means that we have are way below what is necessary to perform the task. And that's the environment in which God says, I can work with that. So he says in verse 39, he commanded them, sit down. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So right now he's making the disciples an active participant in this miracle. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate of the loaves were 5,000 men. Point number four is this, that God responds when we get to a place of acknowledging our insufficiency. That God responds when we get to a place of acknowledging our insufficiency. And let me say this, that the power that we experience in our lives has nothing to do with the degree of ability that we have 
The power that we experience in our lives has nothing to do with our experience, but the power that we experience has everything to do with the degree of dependency that we have on Jesus. And so God is trying to get us to a place where what we acknowledge is that we are vastly insufficient to do for ourselves so that he can then step in and he can do his miraculous work in our lives. Disciples didn't get it. And so in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. I want to make sure we catch that. He dismisses his closest circle and he dismisses his ministry. He said, away with the crowd. We're not doing ministry right now. And I'm even going to get rid of my closest circle. And I am going to spend some time with my father in prayer. Point number five. Our strength comes when our hearts are transformed in the presence of God. Our strength comes when our hearts are transformed in the presence of God. Do you long to be in the presence of God. As you look at your life today, how desperate are you to be in that place? Not just to get away from the stress of everything and to leave the stresses of the world, but to actually get into the presence of God. If so, what valuable things are you removing so that you can be in the presence of God? That's where the strength comes from. But the lesson isn't over yet. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully. They were struggling. And the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, now the fourth watch of the night is anywhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them, but they saw him walking on the sea, and they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, if you're one of the disciples at this point, what are you thinking? Because remember back in chapter 4, there was a storm. In that storm, Jesus was chilling, laying on the couch, getting some nap time. Everybody else is freaking out, but he's laying on a, on, on a cushion. And now in this situation, he sends them out all by themselves. He's not there with them. He has this big, long preaching service when we're supposed to be having some quiet time. And not only does he send us out by ourselves, now we got this storm. And he waits till three, between 3 and 6 o'clock the next day to even come out on the water. And then when he does come, it's like he wants to walk by and just kind of whistle, walking on the water, almost like acting like he didn't even see us. And so what are disciples thinking right now? 
Like, what, what, what point is he trying to make here? And so verse 51, and he says, He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The disciples' hearts were hardened. What is the connection here? What does the loaves have to do with the storm and this hardening of the hearts? Here's what I think. One of the dangers of being called a follower of Jesus and identifying yourself as a Christian is that you think you're more dependent on Jesus than you really are. The whole thing behind the loaves is that God wanted to get the disciples to a place where they recognized their insufficiency, where they came fully in contact with their dependency on something that was greater than themselves. And I think one of the dangers of being on a land is that we have a lot of resources at our disposal. You know, we can put our feet on the ground, we can grab onto things, and we have resources at our disposal. And what God often has to do, which is what he did with his disciples, is he got them into the boat, into a position, into an environment where they had no control, where they wouldn't just say with their mouths that I depend on you, but they actually experienced dependency. They actually experienced insufficiency in and of themselves. And so point number six is this, that Jesus calls all of his followers to abandon self-sufficiency to embrace Godward dependence. That Jesus calls all of his followers to abandon self-sufficiency to embrace Godward dependence. I think for many of us, God is trying to expose our self-sufficiency. Well, we become so familiar with calling ourselves Christians and being in Jesus' presence that we begin to lose this sense of dependency on him. We begin to depend on our own resources to solve what only God can solve. For many of us, the the spiritual maturity that we think we have is nothing more than self-sufficiency that's been masked in spiritual language. And God is saying, I got to expose that for what it is. And so verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesareth and anchored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And they ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds, grabbing sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came, in villages, in cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him, they were begging him, that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touch him were made well. If this sounds familiar, it should. In Mark chapter 5, we uh, heard a couple weeks ago that the woman with the issue of blood also did the same thing. 
where there was this desperation where they said that if, 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 I, if I don't even have to touch his body, like if I could even just touch the hem of his garment, I would be made well. I get a picture of desperate people. I see desperate people. As you look at yourself today, are you desperate for Jesus? I'm not talking about what you say with your mouth. I'm talking about the experience of your heart. Is there desperation for Jesus, for him? Not just to escape the stress of the world, but to be in his presence. Do you look like a desperate person? Do you smell like a desperate person? We know a desperate person when we see one. A person who's single, who wants to get connected with a girl. Jumps on websites. Can you hook me up? Do you have a friend, you know? You know somebody who can, who's single? Somebody who wants to get a degree. There's desperation there. There's actions that's commensurate with the desire that a person has. When you look at your life, do you see desperation or do you think you have it under control? I think the danger for many of us today is that we've lost that hunger. We've lost that desire to be in his presence. We want God's stuff, but we've lost the desire for him. And so we walk around as self-sufficient Christians, but we think it's spiritual maturity. And God is saying, I got to expose that for what it is. Point seven, Jesus responds to desperation. Jesus responds to desperation. And as we walk with Jesus, he exposes those areas in our lives where we have become so self-sufficient that we don't even recognize it. And that's a hardened heart. God is saying, I got to break that. I got to get you into a situation where you're not able to do for yourself so that then you can truly cry out to me in desperation because that's when I begin to operate, when you fully acknowledge that your resources can't do it. I have three application points. First, Jesus calls you to be alone with him. Apart from your time listening to sermons, apart from your study resources and books you're reading, God calls you to be alone with him. Period. And it's in that time alone with him where he begins to expose your heart. And he cultivates a deeper desire for himself. Application two. Your strength comes when your heart becomes transformed in the presence of God. Your strength comes 
when your heart becomes transformed in the presence of God. This is where God releases you from self-sufficiency and he causes you to embrace a Godward dependence. And finally, application three. Jesus responds when you get to a place of desperation and acknowledgement of your insufficiency. Jesus responds when you get to a place of desperation and acknowledgement of your insufficiency. Desperation is not something that you can muster up in your own strength. You can't do it. You can't do it. To get desperation, God's got to give it to you. And the last thing I want you guys to leave here thinking is that, okay, yeah, I'm just going to be desperate. Mm, I'm going to do it. Doesn't happen that way. God's got to give you. God's got to give you desperation. Many of us are too busy to see it. Many of us think we got it under control. God is saying, I might need to get you to a place where you are fully in touch with your inadequacy before you can experience my power. Where are you today? You have it under control? Are you about to lose it? What is God saying? What is God exposing in your heart today? Let's pray. God, as we follow you, I pray that the truth of your word would shine into our hearts to help us to see ourselves. God, we can't even see our own selves accurately. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. We can't know ourselves unless you shine the light of truth into our hearts so that we can accurately see ourselves. God, for the areas that we have become so callous to you, God, I pray that you would work repentance. God, get us to a place where we recognize that our resources are vastly insufficient. God, I pray that you would work dependency into our hearts, Lord God, and give us a desperation. to trust you and to abandon our man-made means of trying to solve what only you can, God. I pray that we would pay attention, Lord God, to the, the stresses in our lives, Lord God, the things that cause our, our souls to be disturbed, Lord God, and I pray that we would listen to you And that we would respond, Lord, in repentance. 
Make us thirsty for you again, God. May we not just seek to escape the stresses of life, Lord God, but may we seek your presence. And I pray that in that place, Lord God, that you would transform us, Lord God, that you would draw us closer to you. We know this is a work that only you can do. And so I pray that you would cause our hearts to be even more dependent on you. It's in your son's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.